Get a bit closer like that. Neurodiverse Creative Mind it is my great pleasure to welcome our first guest on the podcast, photographer, mixed media artist, best friend, Mr. Nedim Nazarali. How's it How going, are you, man? Ned? Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. That's is the it? thing, man. We grew up together from secondary school, didn't we? Yeah. We were in the same form class from year seven. Seven L. Wow. Yeah. What a journey it's been. What a journey. It's crazy. We're on podcasting yeah i know i know but it makes sense because you know when we're growing up we were always what one thing that we connected on was music wasn't it yeah remember we said all the kind of beats and all of the little intricate um parts of music we used to uh, um point out to each other and it made us realize that okay it's not just me that doesn't listen to the vocals it's the beat it's the sound yeah and um, from that the heinz adverts with the um Oh god no. Ten and thirty seven, we can't hit those high notes anymore, boy. Yeah, I'm sorry from that. Let me let me, let me we have to play that in one of the one of the sessions. Yeah, one of the three songs. But let me introduce you. Ned has a fifteen year career in photography spanning fashion, music, and most recently body painting and fine art which he uses to find deeper connections with his subjects. Your work has been exhibited internationally. You're exhibiting in Turkey right now and in yeah. London. You've captured amazing images for huge brands, such as Harrods, Topshop, Cartier, to name a few. Photographs, Rita Ora, Gary Lineker. Paloma Faith. Paloma Faith, yeah. let's, not, let's not forget. And Quite a few people. You know, some incredibly stunning stuff. And it's been cool to watch you chase these different ideas mm. and bring in elements from different parts of your life and experiences now. No, definitely. Yeah. And I, th- I think that whole journey of me, I always feel that from, you know, graduating from London College of Fashion in 2008, going into the, the fashion industry as a photographer, I've always been about portraiture. Um, the whole journey for me, it, it's almost like I haven't had one career, but I, it's been more of an experiment. How do I like shooting? What do I like shooting? And I've been lucky enough along the way all of this testing and all the experimentation were jobs. You know, to be honest, to call myself a photographer, I'm not one of those guys that always carries my camera with me all the time. Mm. In fact, for someone who doesn't take that many pictures, um, I wouldn't see myself as a photographer. And throughout my career, people I've worked with, they've always said, Ned, you're an artist. And so that's how you classify yourself. I classify myself as an artist. And just like musicians, I think Kano was saying when he picked up an award for something years ago, actually, for Top Boy, he was saying, artists, musicians, if there's other things that you want to do, you're an artist. Don't stick to one medium. And I think that's really important because, yes, people have their niche and have their backbone. And mine is photography. Um, But we're artists. Our minds work in different ways and we express things in ways that... Um, we understand right it could be through music it could be through art it could be through drawing um and i think that's important for kind of everyone to kind of realize like don't put yourself in that box 
there are professors that have written books but have um, taken up photography and art. We're artists, we're creators. We're here talking about how how brains are different. Can you tell us about your experience of neurodiversity? Um, so I like the word neurodiversity, by the way, because yeah. uh, uh, recently a lot of things have been coming up in the mental health era, ADHD, dyslexia, introvert, extrovert. It's, I feel like they've all been used, like anything, something gets noticed and becomes aware of and people can use it maybe as not an excuse but I, I feel like when you give yourself a title it can actually stop you from growing so neurodiversity is great because i think it represents what i believe i i feel like everyone's minds work in such different ways mm. um yes there are people that do have problems with it and i'm not taking that away from them there are really serious issues that people have mm. um but with me i have got elements of ADHD. I'm diagnosed as dyslexic as well. Right. Um, You're not diagnosed as ADHD. No. In, a, in some way, I've kind of avoided it. I've kind of avoided looking into it and, and doing that because there's so much talk around it. Right. And I just wanted to see if I can just continue with my journey of self-discovery and learn about how my mind works understand a bit more about me and I've used that as a way to find tools and things that I do on the day-to-day to help me and my mind become balanced because for me everything changes when I've got a balanced lifestyle right like I can have ADHD yesterday when I'm stressed over something but today I'm all balanced I've done a few meditations and all this kind of stuff and I feel good it's gone Right. Those symptoms go. Right. And what are, those, what are the elements that you experience when you talk about ADHD? Um, I think it's intertwined with, with, with dyslexia as well. Mm. It would be losing focus. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably give an explanation as to what dyslexia is for anybody who doesn't know. Um, I'll go from the scientific yeah, point of view. Yeah, Dr. George. And then you can uh, come in and, and clarify what right. I'm saying. Because actually what, you know, what I've learned as, you know, as a scientist who, and a, a, as a clinician as well, but who experiences this, is that there is a very big difference between what is understood by the neurotypical clinician and mm. what is experienced by the neurodivergent individual themselves. And so dyslexia is, is a learning disorder that affects reading and language-related tasks. And that can make it difficult for people who have it to make the links between sounds that they hear and the letters and words that they match to. So when people have dyslexia, especially in childhood, one of the things that you see is difficulty with reading at a good pace without making mistakes. And sometimes they struggle with comprehension, spelling. But it's important to clarify early on that it's not a problem with intelligence. It's and we're clever. Problem. We're clever as fuck. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> high functioning. You know, well. typically it's <laughs> the brain working in a slightly different way, whereby it's the processing. So, like, a computer doesn't lose the ability to handle very complex tasks, but yeah. the retrieval mechanisms. It's and the, the processing. processing is what can you know affect one computer compared to another. Right. Um, well, that's what I got in my one-inch thick uh, 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 diagnosis passport. 
of my of my symptom. What's that? It was, they it, it was, it, they called it the dyslexic passport, and it was just a thick piece of A4 paper, lots of pages of of just things. I'll be honest, I can't remember what it says in it. I don't think <laughs> I've read it properly, but it was about my processing speed, uh-huh. taking things in, which makes sense because when I was doing those written tasks after reading something, if I read a sentence and I was asked questions about something or asked to write down uh, answers about that passage, I would struggle. Right. So it was taking things in and logging it in. Yeah. Um, and I think because of that, other symptoms like me just not listening, when something is too much for me to take in, in that moment of time, in that, uh, let's call it pressured context, in half an hour or 20 minutes, I need to learn this. Mm. It's too much for me. So yeah. I probably just kind of lose focus on it. Right. And I think that happens when I interact with people as well sometimes. If something's not interesting me, if something's not giving me um, energy or stimul- uh, that stimulates me, I do lose concentration very quickly. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Con- conditions that come under the umbrella of neurodiversity often have quite similar features. I guess right. the, the science was, is a bit underdeveloped to mm. really be able to tell us if there are like actual boundaries between the different conditions, but yeah. what you describe is something that's very commonly experienced in ADHD. Right, that, you there know, you go. Unless you're stimulated by something, you find mm. it really difficult mm. to, 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 to concentrate on it. And by the and, way, I don't think that's a bad thing because yeah. I've, I've cut out, I've avoided a lot of crap in my life. <laughs> nice. Things that I didn't need to have in my life. Yeah. I focus on the things that interest me. That is, yeah. that is something I, 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 you block out with the blur that I recognise about you because you've always been very determined, but also you've had that pathway. Like I remember in like GCSE time mm. when which, which like subjects should we pick and stuff, and I'm thinking should I be picking humanities? Should I be picking mm. sciences? Should I be picking arts? Whatever. And you were kind of okay. I'm well, I'm doing art and I'm doing the creative ones. But then, in addition to that, then I'll do like science. I struggled with the right. others exactly, around it because yeah. I knew that wasn't really for me. I yeah. knew what was working for me. Yeah, and yeah. you've always had a kind of a good path. And by that I mean, unlike me, you haven't been so distracted by other opportunities. Mm. Like you know, which is I don't know, maybe yeah. Well, I, th- I think that. I think it's weird because I think the path you've gone down in terms of medicine. I think that's very kind of structured and focused on that. Whereas me, on my path, I can twirl off to other things easily. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, After studying fashion photography at London College of Fashion, we're not guided to what you can do after. Editorial photographer, commercial photographer, does it have to be fashion? Can it be portraiture? It's kind of up to us. It was very open, which I felt like there wasn't that much guidance, to be honest. Mm. But at the same time, that's been my life throughout you know i've always been left to choose what i wanted to do my parents always supported me in what i wanted to do if i wanted to be a doctor i could have been if i wanted to be this i could have been they supported me whatever made me happy Mm. um and that carried on into my further education as well you know deciding what to do and what angle to go in when i graduated and tell me about london college of fashion because that of course is a a big deal Mm. to go to london college of fashion And, and you also went straight from high school not you didn't do a is it foundation, a foundation. Yeah. yeah i, I was remember, lucky i saved a year yeah and i don't know if it's if it's still a thing now that most people do a foundation before starting but i remember at the time it was like that was a big deal yeah you know we, you needed to do one i think now even since the 70s since when my mum went to the central saint martin's the fashion degree yeah. fashion design even then you need to have a foundation course 
a year, which is trying pottery, trying painting, trying photography. But because I already had a diverse portfolio, I applied for the same Central St. Mines, got that. Then I applied for the degree, got that. I went straight into the degree because I had a portfolio of life drawing. I had a portfolio of, of photography. And it was lucky because of our school. We had those facilities. Mm. And you, you also... And I knew what I wanted. Yeah. And you went on to do really well at London College of Fashion. Yeah. You, I'm quite surprised, to be honest. Like... Uh, yeah, it's interesting because like, you got first in your dissertation, right? Yeah. First when my tutor to told me, I was like, how? I'm dyslexic. You're surprised, I imagine. Why are you surprised, actually? For, yeah. Why are you surprised? I'm surprised, but not surprised. I'm, su I'm not surprised because, again, throughout my whole education, I was always getting average scores. But when we had the final exams or whatever, above average, mm. as far as I could get to, yeah. it's the same with um, London College of Fashion. All the, the pre-years, I was always just above average, did okay. Um, but then when it got down to the work, I managed. I was also surprised because someone who's diagnosed as dyslexic at uni, mm. to get a first, I, I felt like maybe I was more kind of proud. I was surprised and proud. Um, but again, I understand how, how and why I was able to get a first. Mm. I understood by then, okay, I work in a different way. And as long as I work in that, in that way that works for me, it might take longer than everyone else. I might get more stressed and give myself a hard time. But if I do the work, I can get a high grade. Right. You know, so that was a big learning curve about me as well. Like it, yeah. it picked me up a bit. That's interesting. I experienced it in, in different ways, but at school, I was always able to do the traditional subjects mm. They came quite quite naturally. Um, and so I had that. I mean, you worked hard though. Yeah. I couldn't work at like how hard you worked. Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So focused and thing. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. I think, it, again, it comes down to what is stimulating you and motivating you because I mean, you, that's why things ha happened here. You perhaps weren't stimulated by traditional mm. subjects and, and therefore you were given at an early stage an idea that, oh, you're not, that good or, or mm. intelligent whatever it might be um, but then when you had the opportunity to dive into one that you were interested in yeah and you flew to the point where you kind of surprised yourself and I think that's important to hi highlight because there will be a lot of young people who will be dissuaded by the fact that they don't excel in the traditional subjects and mm. that might be for whatever reason they haven't got the right encouragement the right tools they haven't found the subject that really motivates them we're fortunately starting in schools to direct kids towards the things that they want to do and the things that they're mm. likely to therefore excel in because they're passionate about them which yeah. i think is infinitely more useful than insisting that they do nine subjects that aren't going to help them yeah. going forward just puts more stress on the actual subject that you do enjoy mm. yeah and, and you also mentioned that you were diagnosed at university so you yeah how was that like learning this new thing about yourself when so much of your life has mm. already happened well, firstly, it made me realise, I think it was coming to the end of year two, I wanted to get diagnosed. Our uni was offering it. Also, what was a highlight was that you get a free computer and you get a free <laughs> printer. I was like, do you know what? I need to take and this opportunity. And it was a Mac wasn't it? And it was a Mac, big, <laughs> whatever inch Mac, or, you know, not even a MacBook. And, 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 and I kind of thought, well, listen, I am struggling with those bigger pieces, the dissertations and stuff. 
I think I need a bit more help than just having my weekly tutor. Mm. So, oh, so you had a you had a tutor as well. We had a we had a tutor for our classes, and oh, every okay. week we'd go in and and just give him an update of what we've been up to, what we've been writing, and he'll just guide us. Right. Um. So, I I wanted a bit more support because I had all of these points in my dissertation and ways I could go, and I just needed to, to someone just to help me focus on. Okay, stick to that, 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 that. Um. And 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 yeah, I I I was diagnosed as dyslexic. Um, got my computer, got my printer. Um, but what it made me realize is that, okay, my whole life, the first thing I thought was throughout my whole education, from primary school to mainly secondary school, I lived with this without realizing, and that's where my struggles came from. Mm-hmm. You mean your struggles came from the fact that you didn't understand why you struggled with these things? Um, I realized that. I was struggling through my education and this is the reason why my slow processing speed, right? Um, the way my mind works. Um, but I, I think the the year I got diagnosed, I think that was a perfect time to do it anyway, because I think I was emotionally mature enough not to let it beat me down. I think in school, we were used to teachers coming in in the middle of our classes saying, oh, for people who need extra special help and needs, they would bring them out in front of everyone. I don't know how I would have felt with that, like that, I with you having that. That, that was wild. Yeah, I don't think, and, and again, I think it just reminds me of secondary school. And again, when we were talking about things that I enjoyed learning, and things that I had to take on, like English and history. I'll be honest with you, I am interested in history. I'm interested in English literature. Mm. Love those stories, Shakespeare stories, and learning all of that. But I was stimulated. I feel like it was a style of teaching that that was too pressurizing and too formatted that it didn't allow me to enjoy it. Mm. Whereas with art, he would talk a bit about. Um, creative stuff and then we'll get on and create yeah and it felt comfortable it felt peaceful in that art studio in the dark room which really brought me back to what really um caught my interest in photography was using that dark room yeah and it's it was the environment whereas the conventional way of teaching literature english history and it, it didn't work for me from the textbooks, reading this and writing that out. That doesn't work for me. Mm. What was it about, say, being in the dark room? I know that was only one part yeah. of the process you were talking about. What was what it about that process that appealed to you, particularly now looking back mm. as, as neurodivergent? Do you know what? When I was in that dark room, there were times when not really many people were in there. Sometimes it'd be me on my own. And if there was, quiet, you couldn't really see. Mm. I had my earphones in, having that, being in my own world, mm. again, consciously was just amazing. Having that peace in my environment whilst just waiting for something magical to happen. And that was these prints to magically appear mm. and just seeing what we would get. I just loved being in my own space. Mm. I loved I loved being me there. And that was really what, made me feel like, okay, I feel comfortable here. I feel happy here in this quiet um, uh, soli- uh, uh, space of solitude uh, when there's so much chaos going on around the school. Yeah. You know how lunchtimes were, everyone like 
yeah it's great i love uh, school I, i looked forward to going to school and having my friends and doing stuff and playing football and all kind of stuff i love that i love school i enjoy school so much but having that piece it was like yeah this isn't like ned this is yeah. me the ned that my family saw when i was younger or uh, people i'm really really comfortable with that chilled out mm. yeah um yeah we went to boys comprehensive in north london and it was a mad Yes. mad it's mad <laughs> like it was mad and i loved just, it yeah it's yeah it's crazy i remember always. remember when we went we got this year seven and we saw the year 10s and 11s and we we're like these guys are scary yeah. we saw fights we saw these aggressive year 11s i was like oh my god and there was a lot of groups there a lot of bad things happened a lot of fights a lot of violence yeah, was- um and stuff like that but we had our groups you me a few of our other friends we were those kind of neutral characters we enjoyed it we enjoyed having the jokes and the laughs and um i think that's what really made my education yeah. i loved it that's it was it. so much fun it was a great time i remember great. when you and uh, another guy from my class in our english class rapped the eminem song really Who? in front of everyone do you remember Who? no you <laughs> and musa musty musty oh my god Which you rapped song? the song not my name is Real Slim Shady? The Real Slim Shady. You wrapped the whole thing in our English class and Mr. Long, you remember Mr. Long? He was yeah. there. He must have thought, what the hell are these guys on about? I, like, <laughs> I can't eight? remember this. Yeah, eight. But, oh but you've my got, yeah, gosh. Thing, you've got this crazy memory for, for events like that. <laughs> Just, That's one know. thing about me. My memory is, I remember everything. Mm. I remember everything. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah, I know you do actually. I don't remember. It, it, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, because some, you know, different neurodivergence have problems with often with the working memory, which is the memory for something that's happening kind of now, like, you mm. know, a, a telephone number or, you know, somebody's name or something. Yeah, I mean, that I'm bad with, I'm bad with names. Yeah, but then actually the <laughs> but stuff... experiences yeah. stick with me. Yeah. Those memories, experiences where there's there's feeling, there's laughter, there's joy, something happened. Those stick with me. Visually, I can see you in that English room rapping. And that's the thing, because the neuroscience of it, and I don't know it, like, to a huge degree, but the different parts of your brain have access to storing memories and if you take them in through different parts so part of your brain say at the front is for sort of planning and carrying out actions right the part towards the back is for vision on oh, the wow. sides it's temporal lobes is for um auditory processing wow. and then you have your memory zones and when you take things in from combined yeah methods and when you attach emotion to them they embed far more easily because <laughs> essentially instead of just using one makes sense to get to to the memory zone yeah you kind of get one in from your visual right. some in from your auditory some in from your you know sense that's yeah the touch of the feel of it all and then the emotional side as well which all kind of helps right. to embed those memories more which is probably why you remember as you say the experiences that gave you an emotion mm. and you remember all the different elements of them sometimes i have a memory of things in the past and the smell of it when you just like walking down the road and I, I smell something yeah it takes me back to a memory oh. as well so yeah it's amazing how, just how our senses work and how the collective of our senses just creates this immersive experience for us absolutely isn't and it that, that, that ties us nicely into the next bit which uh we'll talk about in terms of neurodiversity and your experience in art um mm. but we'll take a quick break before we do that okay great Welcome back to the Why Different podcast. Welcoming photographer Nedim Nazarali. Before we take a break, Ned, you mentioned how a sense of smell can take you back to an emotion. 
in medical school, you do all, so many exams and learning facts, and it becomes really difficult to keep any of those after it's gone because every fact you remember was just another page in a <laughs> book. So it became difficult years afterwards to remember all the things that you've been mm. examined on, even though you passed the exam. Yeah. But when you learn something on the job, you have person, patient yeah. story about their life or their family or what this condition mm. means for them. And you're able to like hang your memory of the disease mm. or the treatment of it on that person. And so yeah. I have memories of patients which allow me to remember if you've had a, a really bad break in of your leg or something like that and yeah. how you manage it because I remember that that story so it's so much easier to attach memories onto um emotions mm. and learn so, yeah and I understood that but I think I understood it a lot better when I was thinking about creative things for example music different sounds or instruments would evoke types of feelings mm. or if I've listened to a song from years gone by like um frank ocean sea creed and every time i hear that song the bit towards the end yeah it's like yeah many starts singing it's like a specific flavor of mm. adrenaline that i feel yeah, you know, yeah. and you get that your memory a feeling of, yeah yeah but it's like a specific it's like a specific but how flavor. specific what do you mean as like? in i can tell that flavor you know we all know that when if you get scared you're going to have a release of adrenaline yeah. right and it's going to feel a certain type of way but if I have that memory, mm. I remember a very specific time in my life. Right. And then wow. that gives me the flavor of, you know, time. of adrenaline. It's that same feeling that yeah. I had at that time, yeah. which is interesting. And I wonder if I could do a thought experiment, it would be that if you could inject somebody with adrenaline mm. of this flavor that I was speaking about, would they automatically think of that? event mm. or that moment i think so I, I think it's kind of like what you're saying like you smell one thing and it takes you to a specific emotion yeah, yeah. A specific person it'll be like grandma or, or, or yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. like that yeah know? a moment yeah and I, that's one of the cool things about knowing about neurodiversity mm. and, and that you have it because then it, you start being able to give context to some of these things that perhaps you always thought were just yeah. you being quite where weird. you're taking things on from different places yeah absolutely. in the mind yeah because i feel like like as as a creative as you know because obviously being a surgeon but also being a, a, a musician opening that creativity opening different parts of your mind opening yourself up to creativity to imagination to smell to sound to feeling i think that also can open you up to new diverse elements because you are opening yourself up to a wider spectrum of things Whereas if you're focusing on a job or doing surgery, you're just focusing on that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's steps to it, right? That you've learned. And whereas with creativity, it's kind of like spontaneous in a way, I feel like. Mm. You've got to feel it in the moment as well and not plan it so much. Mm. Um, I was wondering if that was what you were alluding to when you were talking about the being in the darkroom. Yeah, I remember I was going to ask you actually at the time, you, you've taken that photograph, you saw something that made you want to take that mm. photograph of it. And yeah. I know there'll be a, a story behind why you wanted yeah. to take this photograph specifically. Is that element of feeling your way and, and be, being in the darkroom and waiting for this image to become like almost like a reality? Yeah. Part of the, the, 
the allure for you no definitely definitely because like now it's harder when you've got digital working with digital because you get the instant results mm. here you're really focusing on taking that one shot you're not wasting 100 shots one shot beautiful lighting and shadow in the scene right um composition subject matter and in the dark room you're waiting uh, for that reveal for that image to come up it could be overexposed it could be underexposed but it was really nice just to wait for that moment um and and i felt a sense of achievement and and creating something it was that really hands on you it's that second stage of creating something i suppose taking a photograph and then seeing the image like this was a second stage of of being hands on and and creating it and i think that was very self gratifying yeah yeah man yeah. I, 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 again it's the environment made a big difference for me being in the dark room listening to my visions listen to that whisper saying do this and take this shot because of this being in my own world there which i was like as a kid always in my own world missing things mm. i was finally able to be in my own world but have a reason for it to focus on creating something yeah that was just yeah, yeah. amazing what what you mentioned about waiting for the result and the excited anticipation mm. of it i i can identify with that in in a sense cuz in plastic surgery we do a lot of skin cancers. Mm. Lots of skin cancers are caused by sun damage, right. and so you're talking about highly exposed areas. The face mm. being one of the most important because you've got critical structures and structures yeah. of, of somebody's identity. And so, when you take them out, you're creating a, a defect in their face. But our job is to use understanding of patterns and mm. aesthetics and light and how it falls on right. different parts of the face to be able to the, for the construction of it exactly to reconstruct it so you have to foresee what you want the end result to be factoring these things like okay if the shape of this skin is like this or or this tight you you would be thinking about when light shines on it or or when you see it is it got that aesthetic that you want 100% that's, exactly yeah. That. yeah one of the areas that this most applies to is on the nose we we're, we're very aware of the different ways in which light falling on certain mm. parts of the nose we call them subunits we divide up wow. into nine subunits in the nose and therefore we have different ways of reconstructing okay subunit so where the cancer falls completely determines the type of operation you do and you absolutely plan it a lot wow. before and is that anticipation of what's the final outcome going to be exactly so you've thought about it beforehand you've designed the the reconstruction that you're going to do to mm. try and give them as aesthetically pleasing and as as natural an outcome as you can so you mm. want to hide the scars in the natural creases and yeah. you don't want to put skin of a different color or texture yeah. somewhere else that's nice to hear yeah, as well so. because a lot of people are conscious about especially noses this is a big thing people get their noses reconstructed it's a thing that's right there in the middle of your face so to know that in in surgery you consider that as well rather than getting the job done and fixing that bridge and fixing that whatever it is it's nice to know that and i suppose it it requires you having that certain type of connection with who that person is as well mm, yeah absolutely. do you know what i mean yeah, but what when you were saying that the final outcome would you mean how the skin is reflected or the shape is it simply the shape of it first of all you know the first most important part of the operation is to remove the cancer right but then so how does that work after, is it cancer when the skin cancer is the skin on there is the skin on the face or is it is it being is it deteriorated or something uh, you usually get like a growth like a mole or something oh, that just grows and those are you remove that and then 
you reconstruct it to try and make that area look uh, as good as you can. And it's somebody's identity. Yeah. And so we, we really take a lot of care and consideration when reconstructing and planning. So you have to deconstruct it to reconstruct it in a sense. No, so you take out the cancer, but then when you've taken out the cancer, you've got a hole, essentially. Of course. Yeah. And so you have to yeah, fill that hole. It's like sculpture. Similar, in a similar way. Yeah. And you want to, like I say, you want to, hide the scars and mm. not disrupt the contours as, mm. you know, as best you can. And definitely sounds like imagine. there's a side of art element of art. Absolutely, a huge sure. element of it, yeah. So you have to be quite, you have to be And creativity, because can you imagine this? People that can't draw a straight line with a ruler, like literally are so bad at art to construct a nose or part of the face or whatever, that requires a good eye. Yeah, it's very gratifying, exactly yeah. as you said. And there is that anticipation and it is quite a, an excitement when you're waiting to see how they've healed and they come back. It must and, be scary as, yeah. scary as fuck though. So are we allowed to swear on this? Yeah, of course. It must be scary as fuck. <laughs> Imagine, oh my gosh, it comes, the, the, the mask comes off and then the nose is wonky or, or you could so yeah, oh gosh, I can't even <laughs> imagine. I'll be more scared doing that because you're dealing with I mean, someone's, yeah. Yeah, of course. It's cool that we have, we and I think what I've learned as I've become more senior is my ability to do that mm. really depends a lot on my ability to keep my creative mm. juices flowing so yeah. that means that writing music for example mm. actually is a, a really important part for me mm. of being a good mm. plastic surgery trainee right wow when i find that when i don't i'm I sure you've had it from but I, I, do you know what it sounds like to me because something that resonates with me is that i can only create when i'm in that the right place all right okay. when i'm feeling good what makes you feel good music yeah if if i can put on a tune and makes me and it makes me feel good i can just get on with my work because i'm in that mode right when i'm not feeling good i'm unbalanced i'm thinking about 100 things at once i'm not getting the work done i'm stressing and something like music can pick one up to give them the confidence to make the decision right yeah do you know what i mean yeah i, th I find that for for a lot of people i i've come across having those creative outlets mm gives your brain a sense of happiness and probably yeah. you're releasing a lot of endorphins, etc. Mm. And you just feel a bit more in a mood to, to you're a bit more open, as you say. Open. And I think confidence is a big thing. A absolutely. I absolutely. Because if someone's stressing, are you, is that person going to be confident enough to actually create something or produce something or make something? Because you're just not balanced, is right. it? Yeah, exactly. I think that's no. a huge thing. That's what I meant to say. I, I think you articulated it really well. Needing to be creative outside of work yeah. to be able to be good yeah. and creative inside of work. Because yeah. Im Im imagine the day before surgery, something which happens in everyone's life, something comes up in your life which is a challenge, which is hurtful, which is puts you in a mood. Would you say that affects your productivity in the surgery? It can affect your productivity, focus and all that kind of stuff when you're doing that surgery. I'm guessing it, I'm guessing it can we're all going to have times when things happen outside of work but for us it's the good thing is that if it were to be so significant that it would throw you off mm. then your colleagues would be there to pick up the slack yeah and, yeah you know, say look i i'm not sure i could do this one yeah. today and your colleagues would fill in and okay. make sure that the patient receives the right care yeah but often it's not that significant yeah and it is a case of learning to handle those emotions and you do have to go through that trial and yeah i think that in getting through those if you are quite a creative person you relaxed by the fact that if i find a challenge yeah i'll think of a way out of it 
And I think that's one of the bits that I'm quite happy about because I'm quite an quite anxious person in, mm. in general. But when it comes to like high pressure situations, especially like clinical situations, you can deal with it. It's almost like mm. I get a lease of calmness because mm. I'm just like, oh, my like brain's going to kick in with yeah. a creative solution. And not innovative, but it might be that, oh, I'm going to recall something that would solve this problem. Yeah, yeah. I guess that, that your seven years of studying and more is about that, isn't it? Yeah. That's the kind of pattern. It's finding a solution. So when it comes to that and focusing on that and getting a solution, boom, you're just, that strength is there. Yeah. And I think that's part of what drives a lot of people who end up in hospital medicine to, mm. to do it because mm. there is that kind of inherent risk of yeah. like, shit going left really quickly with the patient and you having to like almost jump yeah. into action and uh, to handle it but yeah cool. so um, amazing uh next thing i wanted to go on to ned was your career and you talked a bit about your experiences of dyslexia as a child mm. are those different now as an adult yeah i think there are aspects of neurodiversity that had left my life since I was a younger, but other things that I've maybe picked up. Mm. When I was younger, for example, that like zoning out and missing what people have said, mm -hmm. that kind of went, now that I have more of a focus in life, as you get older, you know what you want to do, you've got, to, you've got your aims and desires, things that you want to create and, and do, I've got more of a focus. Um, so I think a lot of that has gone, but... Other things I've picked up is losing focus in other ways. And I think that has a lot to do with my environment. As an artist, working from home a lot, in the comfort of my home, mm. that environment definitely affects how I concentrate and how productive I am right. with my work. And are you more productive at home? Or? Um, bit of both, because sometimes when creating, I need that peace and quiet. Mm. But then when I'm out in a cafe or environment where I can do work there, it's different. I can just get things done. Mm. But then I lack a bit of concentration as well because a lot is going on. So there's pros and cons, really. It's um, a big topic at the moment. Like I've heard those who work at home, yeah. whereas before they didn't. It's a real trade-off. I think it's it? good to be in social settings in general for mm. people's confidence. It's like reading and writing. If you keep doing it, you get better at it and you get more focus and all that kind of stuff. When you take yourself away from social places, environments, you get used to that peace and quiet, you get too comfortable. And I definitely have struggled with that. And also... In, in, to say in social environment. In social environment. Interesting. I, I know that to be true. But then again, there's so many times when I've been anxious about social situations mm. and thought, how would Ned handle this situation? Because you're always somebody who I've, I've all known to be very good at bringing people together yeah. and socialising. And I think actually probably we used to do it more. So we used to practice it a lot yeah. more because our lives were very much more outside. Mm. But since we've gotten older, we spend less time out and more time in. I guess Which is not a bad thing. It's a good, it's a good thing. I, we need to yeah. focus on our careers and our future and, and stuff like that. That's just, I think it's part of the life. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just a normal, it's the direction that mm. life takes us. We can't be 18-year-old crazy guys forever. But I guess it, you don't practice it so much you know, the, the social yeah. aspects. And then maybe it, it makes you a little bit more focused on the fact that it's not so natural anymore. Yeah. Is that what you find? Yeah. I feel like the social part, it's a lot more effort. Right. Do we have that energy for the effort? I 
just there have been times years ago where me and Lily went to a friend's birthday and it's just like, I was just standing there just not feeling connected. Mm. I just felt uncomfortable. Mm. I had some sort of social anxiety. And maybe it was a time that I was just, I think there's reasons for it. I think I was going through a lot. And I think before we can give and connect, we have to have a sense of value and love for ourselves. We need to feel confident. We need to feel good. Mm. That's everything for me. And in that specific time, I just wasn't feeling good. So if I'm not feeling good, I can't conversate with someone and have a good time. That is to do with experiences in life. Meeting people through work, old friends, having fallouts, Mm. feeling betrayed. I don't like to blame people for experiences you have. I always look at, okay, why did I have the experience? If someone treated me badly, I always have to look at what could have I done different to not allow that? And I think that's just a part of growth. I think, for example, if someone is too nice, you can get take advantage of, you know, if I'm doing work for a, a, a company and I give them more than I need to, but I, that's just how I work. Yeah. Are you give them extra help and, and assist them because you want the final outcome to be good. They ask for more. And sometimes they go past your boundaries a bit. I think having experiences in life, which I think is just normal and we just need to learn and grow from it. Everyone goes through those. We need to feel those different sorts of pains and mm. feelings. I think it was a time where those just brought me down. Mm. And at the same time with my career, it was reflected where I was at with my career. I'm always moving forward. I'm never, okay, I'm a photographer, I work in fashion industry, doing editorials, that's all I'm doing. No, right. it wasn't enough. One thing is never enough. So there's me always going in and transitioning into my next stage of my career of what I want to do or what I want to create to make, to satisfy my needs. Mm. So that also reflected how I dealt with situations in life. So I think our environment and um, experiences has been something that's brought me down because I've been very highly sensitive. I realise I'm a very highly sensitive person. Mm. And was that always the case? Uh, or have you found it difficult or different as you've become an adult? I think more difficult as I've become an adult because there are more demands on life, which again is normal. There's nothing wrong with that, but I've maybe dealt with it in a immature way with mentally, maybe, maybe because I was mentally weak through past experiences. I think it's a collaboration of so many things, but I remember being a kid and me comfortable in my own world, me right. chilled. I was known as like my parents, you say I could just fall asleep standing up. Like I was the most chilled out person. But as I grew older, as you meet different people, social circles, settings in my career as well, the fashion industry, stuff like that, you experience chaos. You experience people acting in ways that are not morally right for you. Do you know what I mean? And I get sensitive about those things. Mm. When really and truly, when people say you don't care about what other people think or do, it's true. I was taking on all of that because I felt this is what's right for me. That person's doing it that in that way. I don't agree with it. And that mm. brings me down. Mm-hmm. That sensitivity in me does affect me. And I you, think at times I care too much, to mm, be honest. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what do you think that tells you about yourself? But you answered that. You described a lot of things that you take responsibility mm. for the way you're feeling yeah. about things. Oh um, yeah, and what do you think about that? Um, and the, re- the reason I ask is because as you get older, you accumulate scars. Mm. That's how it works, right? yeah. which I think probably accounts for some of why carefree as a youngster yeah. and, and more 
anxious and perhaps um, alert mm-hmm. for danger. Definitely. And re- reading um, Sapiens, the novel, which is a good history of, of humankind, and from reading other things, is it's talking about how we as humans became the dominant species, etc. Yeah. Most essentially is because we were able to mm. and not think all the other predators which really should have eliminated us a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a big part of that was because we have the most sophisticated defence system, essentially. Right. And it makes sense because when you think about it, which are the most powerful countries in the world, those who have the most sophisticated defence systems. But ours is the defence system that you can smell, hear, mm. see or perceive danger before yeah. it presents itself and so yeah. you can avoid it or get yeah. away from it. And we have to remember that's what's actually kept us here. Mm. And that was when we were hunter-gatherers and stuff. But now we live in a, a, a time where we don't have to worry so much about lions and bears and, and whatnot, yeah. but we still have these hypersensitive defence mm. systems, which are the reason we've managed to get here, right? Wow. And so so like instead having, of taking on, using those skills for and you know the protecting ourselves and being in like in nature now it's so many other things it's things that we're fed through social media tv people experiences yeah and i think that's the thing our defense systems are there that? for us to detect danger mm. and when you detect danger like when we were Back in the field, and like when you're afraid now, of, and we shouldn't be detecting danger you, of people and stuff now. Sorry, we shouldn't be detecting da- danger right now of things. Really, in a sense, what dangers should we should be where we are aware of when it comes to walking down the street and you see a gang of people? That's not a normal thing for us. We should be connecting. Yeah, Every, yeah. we're we're all one. We all should be connecting, but we have to be careful. That's the thing. I think what we know is that our defense system our Mm. brain is so sophisticated that we don't know most of how it works right Mm. and so if it's giving us shots of adrenaline or making us feel anxious about stuff it's because it's telling us that it is perceiving danger right right and like with wild animals and stuff yeah we call it instinct but Mm. actually i wonder if it's so much of that or is it that we can't always recognize that actually our hyper alert defense system is telling us that something about this scenario makes me feel unsafe Mm -hmm. and that might be i think and now that comes to experience, isn't it? You build that up. Exactly, that's it. So I think that as we are grow- we've grown older and we've started accumulating scars, mm. our defence system has adapted. So it doesn't yeah. now worry about lions and bears and gorillas. It now worries about, ah, that thing gave me a scar before. When I saw somebody who behaved towards me like that, I ended up with a scar. We experienced it so much. And so every yeah. time you experience a scenario like that, even when it might not have reached your consciousness, your defense system's always on and it's hyper it. And it might be telling wow. you that, oh, wow, this scenario that you're in, mm. you gave you a scar once. Mm. And so maybe you feel anxious. And yeah. I wonder if understanding that and peeling back those layers and trying to understand what about this scenario makes me feel unsafe or why am I getting this response from my defense system that mm. something's up? It might be that it's just too highly sensitive and like your alarm at home that just keeps going off for no reason and you just have to reset it or something Mm. and be like okay cool there's nothing here to worry about let's just try and chill and let's try and have a good time or whatever yeah but um otherwise it it can often be because actually there is danger Mm. and well we just need to identify what that is why yeah because sometimes we feel danger of things that are not dangerous yeah but Uh, we're just sensitive about absolutely i think i I remember this was like really poignant for me when i was doing my phd and we always do lab presentations Mm. 
of your work everyone has a, a, a go every week it changes and, and it's hardcore the level of expectations high mm. because everybody's very good and so you I would find that I'd start having anxiety mm. and I remember there's one time I was sat in the on the computer and it's got to two o'clock and I stopped I was like what is wrong like I've been anxious all day mm. what's going on and I remember actually sitting back from the computer and being like what is it going on and trying start going through the checklist am I worried about this am I worried about that and then it was like, there's nothing else. Like intense, like, you were feeling intense. I was just feeling, yeah, really like anxious about something I couldn't yeah. really identify. And then I realised, I was looking at the calendar, and I was like, ah, I've got a lab meeting next Thursday mm. and I haven't even started to prepare. That's in the back of your mind, knowing that you have That's to be prepared. Exactly. And it was that. And, and, but once I figured that out, I was like, okay. So then I started mm. on that day prepping for the lab meeting. Yeah. And then I became less and less anxious. And then literally the second I finished the lab meeting, all anxiety is mm. gone. And I might have otherwise attributed yeah, that to something yeah. else. It's funny. It's, it's, it's interesting how you forgot about that in the week. Because with me, I find that anxiety could come from I'm doing a, a job. I'm on the computer editing, for example. But I know this week, all I want to do is create art. All I want to do is create art. But I'm saying in my head, I'm thinking, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to be doing in two days time when I finish this. Mm. So all of that is in my head consciously. Does that make that, you feel anxious? Do you not know? And I, I, it's weird because anxious, I don't get anxious. I don't get anxiety. I don't anxious attacks. The anxiety I have the most is really overthinking, worrying. Mm. Worrying is my anxiety. I don't get heart palpitations. I don't feel like I'm getting a breakdown or I can't feel because I feel like I've always been very aware I think as a person, since from a kid to, I've always been comfortable because I've always been aware of my surroundings. And it's not just me seeing that I can do that easily without even looking. My aura can feel it. I can feel tension over there. And that's how I've navigated my life. Mm. If I'm walking through a certain situation, I can move away from that situation. I've always navigated my life through feeling. Mm. I've opened up my aura and I've been able to feel things. I've never been anxious where it's affected my physical health mm. apart from just worrying, worrying. Yeah. And, and there's been one or two occasions where my worries got so much that I have to speak to someone about Lily. So I have to speak to her about it. Mm. This is what's worrying me. I should get me out of it. And it's sometimes really silly. Yeah. But do you think it has to get to that before you do something about it? Because I know yeah, it I'm not used to worrying in, in such a way where I need someone's opinion. Usually I just deal with it. Mm. But and the anxiety thing is good. I'm always very chilled out. And I think that's always kept with me as a kid. I've always been able to control that mm. and not get into an atta attack where I've something's taken over me and I'm feeling like panicking and stuff. Mm. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. How does neurodiversity in interact, if in, if in any way, with your artistic endeavours? Like some people, for example have distractibility mm. and that that helps them to become creative because they can be quite abstract in their thoughts and right help yeah them or people hyper focus which yeah. allow them to really drive home so mm. do you find that there are characteristics of your neurodiversity yeah that either help or hinder your creative process i think there's a bit of both i think firstly when i'm doing my creative endeavors and just creating body painting someone or editing that comes so naturally mm. I'm in my comfortable space. It just comes out of me naturally. I don't need to think about it. I've already got that natural focus there. Mm. Not too over-focused, not little focus. I use spontaneity as well to create mm. a feel in the moment. And I've always done that with my photography and my portraiture. 
I'll shoot different people. I could shoot you in five different days and we'll get a completely different vibe. It depends on your vibe. It depends on my vibe. And I capture how you're feeling at the moment. And that just happens naturally. So letting go in my art, which is a neurodiverse issue when I'm having a meeting with someone. So I can't let go like that when I have a meeting. I need to really focus on what they're saying, taking it in and responding. Mm. I can't just let go how I do my artwork when I'm having that meeting. It's just two different vibes I'm, I have to be in. When I'm in another dimension, I'm in my own co- world with that person and we're collaborating and creating. Mm. In the meetings, it has to be more constructed mm. when we're thinking about ideas and stuff like that or, or planning something. For example, when I do my filmmaking work, I find that my mind works in, in two different spectrums and two different ends really well. But if they cross over, it can sabotage it. So when I'm directing film, already for the past week, we've been planning it too. We've been planning it a couple of days before writing shot lists. I know exactly what shot needs to be done there. Once we've done that, I don't need to worry about, was that enough? The shot's done. We have already pre-thought about it. So I can control a whole crew and plan and, and direct it. Right. And know, okay, let's not shoot it like, like that. Because in the future, we're going to have that problem with cutting so shot. am I right in thinking that you're saying when you are directing, it's a different skill set that you have to use to when you're creating? I th- yeah, I think it's d- definitely a different skill set. I need to be a bit more switched on. Right. Because and now I'm dealing with people. When I'm doing my artwork, I'm just creating the artwork. Here I'm dealing with people. I'm dealing with timing. I'm dealing with the angle of this shot making sure that person's got that sound ready. It's so much, and I love doing it because I feel in control. I love feeling in control mm. and things this happen well. But bringing that vibe into my artwork when I'm creating artwork or body painting or shooting my crystals for my crystal artwork, I'm in a completely different vibe. I'm in a completely different space mm. and a mindset. Yeah. So yeah, that's the difference. But then if I am creating artwork and i'm in my my studio and i'm editing an image that i've created now i'm just with me my mind and my own space Mm -hmm. that leaves room for overthinking that leaves room for me thinking okay is this enough can i stop here is that artwork done so it's having that balance of letting go into the artwork being creative but knowing when to stop and and not thinking about it too much whereas on set i've got to think so detailed Right. And that happens naturally as well in that environment yeah, context. And, and how do you know when it's done and when to stop? So with my artwork, mm. I'll know because I already know my, what I want it to look like. Ah, so yeah. you start off knowing. Yeah, I already know that if I want to shoot this green specific crystal, I want to have a nice bright pink background on it. Boom, nice and strong, simple, impactful. Because mm. I know that's going to work with the lights shining through the artwork as well. Mm. But then sometimes... What can throw you off? Again, with shooting portraits and with certain lighting, I use a lighting. I want there to be shadow there and a lighting there. And I want it to have a bit of blur to give it a bit of movement. I'm experimenting on the day mm. with the subject. And I could come into the studio, look at the image as that it's not exactly how I saw it in my head. So I've got to tweak it a bit. Um, and usually that's the case because with photography, when you're shooting in raw, things are desaturated. It's not the final outcome. You've got to make it the final outcome. That's like the second stage. But sometimes it's like you have to really rework something to get what you want. 
but again it's always going by that vision i already had from the beginning mm. you know yeah and as a freelancer you you have to manage both the creative side yeah and the non-creative side yeah the admin exactly and for a lot of people it's difficult to manage mm. the non-stimulating non-creative elements mm. i love it how do you i love it bruv wow. when i'm sending those invoices i'm happy bro <laughs> i want that money <laughs> honestly i'm, I'm like i, I want to send three these monday morning honestly three invoices i want to get paid so fucking quick i just want to get paid <laughs> done the job but those are usually the jobs where they're not the jobs that are feeding my soul right. they're the jobs that have skill in yeah yeah in photography and film whatever and i'm doing a job for someone right I can't wait to do that. I'm going to send that. Sometimes I feel like I'm sending invoices too quick. I'm like, these guys are going to think all I'm thinking about is money. Before you've even like, done the show. I haven't even asked them. Check the draft. Is there anything else you want to tweak? No, yeah. fuck that shit. Images are done. This is what I'm giving you. Here's my invoice. Where's my money? Here's my invoice. You Seven days. I don't give them a month. Seven days. Dear sir, madam, this invoice is due in seven days. Yeah, I love doing that. And what uh, about the other elements of admin that people don't like to do taxes like bookkeeping taxes scheduling appointments yeah all I, the I, logistical kind mm, of things i think scheduling appointments and pre-meetings for work with musicians or whatever it is if they've got an idea i want to actually i need that part i like that part because i need that part of the process for me to create something for someone mm. with someone i need to understand you and what you want as well mm. it's in my interest to give you what you want there have been occasions where people are like they do what you do we trust the, you but you'll find that when you're working with some people it's too much of a risk to just do that mm. because you might give them something that they're not looking for in their head so i really try and have those pre-meetings with people to really dissect what it is you want what is your song about how are you feeling about it oh, these visuals could work. If this is a feeling, if I'm resonating with their feelings during the scene or this part of the song, I, I'll suggest um, a mood board pictures and ideas and visual ideas to see what they like. Because I'll always make sure, I feel like when someone wants to work with me, they're using my type of style. I like to work with lovely shadow, lovely lighting, depth in the imagery, really meaningful scenic stuff. So I'm guessing that they're looking for me for that kind of work. Right. So I need to make sure that does this high contrast type of image work for your vision and work for your style? Sometimes I can make people think this is what's going to work really well and people trust it. And then some people were like, I really like this, but I'll, I want to go for this kind of aesthetics. Mm. So really having those pre-meetings is important to me because if I don't, if I'm not 100% clear what they want, I can't input anything to make it unique and mm. suggest what can col collaborate with those ideas. And if I don't do that, I will never be sure and confident in myself that I'm shooting the right thing for that person. Right. And organization or brand or whatever. Mm. That's it for part one in this two part interview with Nedim Nazarali. Tune in for episode three, which will be part two. If you want to find out more about Ned and see some of his amazing work, find him on Instagram. His handle is Nedim underscore Nazarali or Nart Earth. That's N-A-R-T-E-A-R-T-H. You can find us at wired underscore different underscore official or underscore wild zero. Bye for now.